Well, we wanted to make this a family time, and if there's one thing I know for sure about family times, uh, you typically would not read the Christmas story from a stage. It would be a little more comfortable, a little more informal, and so I need some kids to help me so that I can feel a little more comfortable reading the Christmas story. So here's what we're going to do. If you are ages 5 to 10 and would like to help me, then what you can do is just come right over here by Sharabi, and she's going to help you find your way up these stairs and just come sit right down here on the floor like you would in the living room so I can read the Christmas story a little more family style. So 5 to 10, go ahead and come on up. Come right over here where Sharabi is, and you're going to come on the stage. Come on up. All right, you guys can just sit, sit down there so you can see me. And this will make it feel a little bit more like a living room, right? Yeah, I like this. And for the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, or you can see the words up on the screen. All right, I'll give you a second if you want to open your Bibles there. And we've got just a couple more coming to our little cozy place. And we always have a hay bale in our living room, so this is just perfect for us. All right. Are we ready to hear the Christmas story through the eyes of Matthew? All right, here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them, The exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. That really helped me. 
There's an ancient story written from Herodotus who talks about the great Persian king Xerxes. And the great king was returning home in one of their big ships from a war in Greece. And as they were coming in, the ship was overcrowded with people. And that was okay as long as the seas were calm. But when a storm came up, the ship started to rock back and forth. And it started to take on water. And everybody on board realized the ship is going to sink unless we lose lots of weight. And a bunch of his servants who really loved King Xerxes came and Herodotus writes that they bowed down and kissed the ground at Xerxes' feet in worship. And then they went and they jumped off the boat into the sea and died. But the ship was saved because the, they lost all that weight and it floated up in the water higher. That word that Herodotus uses, worship, is the same word that keeps showing up in the New Testament. When people see Jesus, they often bow down and worship. A woman who's had a demon-possessed child, a, a man with leprosy, the three, uh, the, the wise men, we don't know how many there were, but the wise men we know did this, um, the pleading mother in Matthew 20, and the woman who clung and bowed down and worshiped at Jesus' feet after he arose from the dead. It's the attitude of what we read in Psalms 95.6, which says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. So we have two really awesome accounts from the book of Matthew. Uh, that's the nativity scene. We have Luke and we have Matthew. And Luke tells us a little bit more about the beginning of the story, but Matthew tells us a little bit more about after kind of week one has gone by. And we have lots of questions about the nativity story that we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us all the details of what was it like for Mary and Joseph. And I've kind of wondered, I wondered if Mary was ever, you know, in a, in a circle of other mothers and they were telling baby stories. And you know how moms do this. And then even if you don't have a child, everybody else in the circle starts doing this too. Um, and they're all sitting around, standing around telling stories. And all the moms are going like, oh, just look at my angel. The baby's not really an angel, but, you know, we'll let mom say that anyway. Because it just means that he's sweet. Look at my angel. Look at my angel. And then Mary's like, look, it's the Lord of the angels. <laughs> I don't think Mary would have said that. doesn't really fit the description that we have. But we have lots of questions about what was it like. And some of the people we have the most questions about are the wise men or the magi or some people call them the magi or the, the kings. We have lots of questions about them. And we don't even know how many there were. We know there, were, there was more than one. But there, we know they had three gifts. But one thing that we do know is that sometimes we get it wrong in the nativity scene just a little bit. Now, uh, this little nativity scene uh, is from our house, and I've got a couple of the wise men right here. But there's something you should know about the placement of the wise men or the magi. They, they, when Jesus was born in the stable, they don't really belong right there. They weren't that close yet. And so, uh, in fact... Um, Hope I'm just going to give those to you right there. Let me, let me see how this looks. Let's see if they're far enough away. Uh, I don't think they're far enough away. Can you pass them to the person behind you? Um, and that's, keep, keep going, keep passing. They need to go farther. Let's keep those wise men moving. Keep going, they're still too close. Keep pat, let's keep going back, keep going back. All right, let, let's, see, let's see where they are. Okay, that, uh, maybe just a little farther, just a little farther. Maybe just a little bit farther. 
I think that's about right. I don't know how, uh, how quickly those really little people without legs can walk. <laughs> but I bet you it would take them about a year and a half or so to walk, waddle, roll from there to here. And that's probably about the timeline. We actually know that Herod said, I'm going to kill all of the infants two years and younger. Why? Because some time had elapsed. We know that when the wise men come, they go to the home of Joseph and Mary, not to the barn. They were living in Bethlehem at that time. So, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe all the way up to almost two years. Herod was probably being a little uh, over the top there. But we know the wise men were kind of a little bit of ways away. And when they come, Jesus isn't like a newborn baby, but still a little guy, still very little. And so that's what we learn a little bit. And these, these wise men, these magi, they, they were scientists, astronomers. How many of you all like science? These would have been your kind of people. But they were mathematicians. Anybody like math? They, they, they did like magic. Anybody like magic? Okay, they, they were known for that. Um, they, they were very smart guys. In fact, uh, other historians in ancient history write about them, Philo and Josephus and others, and they saw this brilliant star in the, sign, uh, in the sky, and they believed it was a sign from God. Were they right? Yeah, they were. You know, Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And certainly, you know, this past year we've seen times with you know, the, the full moon and the super moon and, and all of these things. And there's times when you're out, maybe in the country, away from the lights, and you just look up and go, wow, that declares the glory of God. But for the wise men, it was really specific. That star was pointing them to the very glory of God, who was laying there, Jesus. And so the wise men go to Jerusalem, which makes sense because if you have questions about the scriptures and the prophecies, you would want to go to Jerusalem to find out. So they go to Jerusalem and they figure they can ask some people and find out uh, where Jesus is going to be born. And they come to King Herod. But what they don't know is that King Herod is a crazy man. And when I say crazy man, he really was crazy. Uh, in fact, he was so crazy that he was always afraid that somebody else was going to become king or queen. So he killed several of his own boys. He killed one of his wives, had several. I don't know that I would want to marry him after he'd killed the first one. He killed his mother-in-law. You think that your family Christmas time might be awkward. Think about that one. They're like, well, scratch Johnny off the list because dad killed him too. Um, how many, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it was really crazy being around there. And, and Herod does this thing that sneaky people do. He pretends like he, he wants to find out about Jesus because he wants to worship Jesus. But really, he wants to find out about Jesus so he can do what to Jesus? Kill. I, I kind of picture Herod uh, uh, here listening to the wise men saying, oh, please, I, I, would, I would love to meet Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus is just dying to meet me. And, and saying things like this, and he's smiling. And then as soon as the wise men turn away, he does that thing that they do in the movies where the, the music is all happy, but then when the people turn their backs to him and walk away, the music goes dun-dun-dun, and his face goes like, and he starts making his plan because he wants to use the wise men to kill Jesus. 
Um, but thankfully, God warns the wise men later and says, go a different direction. Be sneaky back to Herod and go around Herod so that he can't do this thing. So they go on their way and they find Jesus and they present him with three gifts. And we, we don't know exactly how many wise men, but we know that there was these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and these gifts were symbolic, and we could talk more about that. They were significant, and they were meaningful. But here's what I want you to think about the gifts today. Those gifts were the best they had to offer. In fact, they were probably the best that their uh, country had to offer. They gave their very best to this little boy, Jesus, because they wanted to worship him. And if you want a simple definition of worship, uh, the fancier one would be to, to bow down and kiss towards the one you respect like the guys in the Persian boat did. But maybe for a more simple definition of worship, it's give your very best to Jesus. I mean, you don't hold anything back. You give your very, very best to Jesus. And so that takes a lot of humility to do that. But I, I want you just to think with me for a moment. You don't need to answer these out loud, but just in your head and in your heart, I want you to think about if you are giving Jesus your best. Are you giving Jesus all you have to offer your very best with your family? Are you being the most godly and loving parent or spouse or brother, sister, friend, child, aunt, cousin that you can possibly be? Not just to, to be nice to them, although I want you to do that, but to actually give that as your worship to God. Are, are you... Are you giving the very best you have to Jesus when we sing to him? Are you giving your very best to Jesus when you read scriptures and paying attention and listening so God can talk to you? Are you giving your very best to Jesus with your neighbors and caring for them and the people that God puts in your life and the co-employee and the friend at school or the kid at school that nobody likes? Are you giving your best to Jesus then? Are you giving your very best to Jesus with your money, with your time, with your volunteering? Are you giving Jesus your very best? Because if you are not, your worship has been stolen. It's been taken away. And we want to give God our very, very best. The deal is this, that for some people, their worship has been stolen but they're still worshiping something. Everybody worships something or someone. Everybody is worshiping something. It might be money. It might be sports, and they give their very best only to sports or to money. It might be comfort. It might be retirement. It might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or uh, all A's in school or a promotion. It might just be entertainment. Everybody is worshiping something or someone. And if you are worshiping any of those things, anything besides Jesus, then your candle's been snuffed out. Your worship has been stolen. But we need to worship Jesus. If, um, if the distance between the earth and the sun, anybody know how far that is? Yeah, 93 million miles. If the distance between the earth and the sun was the width of this piece of paper, See how skinny that is? If that was the distance between the earth and the sun, the distance between the earth and the closest star would be stack these papers together, stack more papers, more papers, more papers, until it went from that wall 
to that wall. That's how far it would be. And if you think that's crazy, the distance between, uh, or the diameter of the Milky Way would be paper stacked like this for 300 miles. The universe is big, right? And the Bible tells us that Jesus holds it all together with just a single word. Jesus holds it together. And if Jesus holds all of the universe together, that is a Jesus, that is a God whom we don't say, hey, come just kind of hang out with me a little bit. Sit in the back seat and I'll drive the car. No, that is a God. We say, I bow down and worship you and I give you the keys to my life. You drive, I'll follow wherever you want me to go. You are so great, I can't even fathom how great you are. That's Jesus and we are to worship him. The wise men had it right that they would give everything they had to Jesus and then they risked their lives tricking King Herod and going back a different way. If Herod would have found them, he would have killed them. But it was worth it because Jesus is always worth it. And it's cool in this story that the story of Jesus touches the lives and changes the lives of these wise men who are not Jews, Gentiles from another nation. It touches the lives of Joseph and Mary and John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon, people who were Jewish. It touches the lives of the shepherds who were kind of the lowly outcast of society. Nobody liked them. We see even in this one story that the gospel has global implications. The gospel is for all people, including you. So if you hear me say one thing today, hear me say this. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he came to earth and suffered and went through all of the agonies of this earth beyond what we can imagine. If you're a kid here today and your family life is kind of crazy sometimes, I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that he came to earth for you. He came to even die for you. That's how much he loves you. And that means your life is valuable. If you're a teenager right now and everything's just going smooth for you and everything's kind of going cool right now, I want you to know that Jesus coming for you is more important than getting your driver's license or graduating with all A's or starting on the sports team or making new friends or getting a date to prom. That Jesus coming is more important than all those things. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and that's the most important thing you can know. If you are parents and you're kind of struggling right now with how to raise your kids, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. If you're an adult right now and you're just tired from work and you just want to go home and sleep for the next three days, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to find rest in him. If you uh, are seasoned in life and you're kind of wishing that this Christmas was the same as a Christmas many, many years ago, I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that he came for you and he has a future planned for you as well jesus loves you and he cares for you please know that and because of that he is worth worship worshiping don't let your worship be stolen give it all to jesus during this christmas time if you would would you stand up and i want to pray for us and if you or your family would like some prayer just during this next song there'll be uh, some folks over here against this wall 
uh, who would be glad just to pray with you, pray with your family, visit with you, if that would be helpful to you during this time. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us so much. We don't want our worship to be stolen. We want to give it to you. Thank you that you love us so much you came for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.